atheist professor was taunting God, mocking God in his secular college classroom and <clears throat> trying to remove the faith of the young adults in the classroom that had some. <clears throat> he said, if there's a God, I'll, I ask him to knock me off this platform right now. Nothing happened. He said, I said, if there's a God, I call on him to knock me off this platform right now. He waited, nothing happened. If there's a God, I invite him to knock me off this platform. About that time, a former Marine in the class got up and knocked that professor down flat. The professor got up and said, why'd you do that for? He said, God told me he was busy. Well, if you think that God is not still in control of this world, he is. And though the wrongs seem so strong, God is still the ruler yet. And let us not forget that, even though it looks like our side is not winning, we are. Our sermon title today is Eight Little Demons, and I don't know that they're little. <laughs> Maybe they're big. I simply... Uh, put that in there today in the title. Thank you, Ray, for reading. And as we go to God in prayer, I'd like to ask you at this time, if you would bow your head and that, that you would ask God right now that uh, he will help you to hear what he wants us to hear today. Would you, would you pray that for yourself at this time? Father in heaven, what a wonderful privilege to hear a sermon, to preach a sermon is a great privilege. I'd, if I had a thousand lives, I'd want to be a preacher 10,000 times. Your word is what we need. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It is life. It is where life is found. It is deep and true solid rock upon which we can stand. And Lord, today, we have a sober reminder that the devil never gives up. He never goes to sleep. He contends and contests every inch of ground until we draw our last breath. May you, the God of peace, crush him under our feet. And today, we pray for victory in the lives of our hearers over this one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We guard things that are valuable, don't we? Some banks have security guards. That's how I met our, our former guard here at the church, Clarence Round. He was guarding the Bank of America where my office is located in Lithicum. I, I think every school Every school ought to have an armed officer at the front door. That'll take care of this, this mess we got in this country of people coming in and attacking innocent people. You have to fight fire with fire, if you will. We, 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 we guard that which is valuable. We guard important people, don't we? I, I guarantee you our new governor, Governor Moore, has a security detail everywhere he goes. 
and, and the higher you go up the chain, the stricter the security gets. Just try to climb over the White House fence and see what happens to you rather quickly. We also guard secret information called classified. Some of you here today, some of you listening perhaps, you have to go through security just to get to work because you work in intelligence, uh, information that is not for the general public. In February of last year, Jonathan and Diana Tebby, have you, do you know who they are? The Tebbies were from Annapolis. Upstanding people, if you will, in the community. They were arrested for trying to sell secret information to what Jonathan thought was a foreign dignitary. You see, Jonathan Tebby was an expert in nuclear propulsion systems on submarines. Some of the most highly classified and, and secret information that our country possesses. He sent messages to someone he thought was a foreign official. But the individual he was sending messages to and, and making drops to in, in peanut butter sandwiches was an FBI official. Whoops! Oops! Before their arrest, the Tebbies lived in Annapolis with their two children. And Dr. Diana Tebby taught at the prestigious, prestigious key school in Annapolis. Taught history and, 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 and English there. Can, can you imagine that Monday morning? Where's Mrs. Tebby? Well, she's in jail right now. What? <laughs> yeah, that's where she's at. She's got on an orange suit today incarceration. We, we guard things that are valuable. We guard jewelry and money and old coins, perhaps in, in a safe. We guard guns by locking them up so that they're safe as well. There's a box you can rent at the bank called the safe deposit box. It's inside the vault. And even if the bank burns down, whatever you got in that box is probably going to be secure in the safe deposit box. We guard a portion of Arlington National Cemetery, the tombs of the unknown soldiers, as a reminder that freedom is not free. And their constant watch over those graves. We guard military bases too, don't we? You, you can't just drive on Fort Meade if you're not welcome there. Those guards at the gate don't carry BB guns, and they have them for a purpose, and it's not for decoration. <laughs> Fort Knox is a military base south of Louisville, Kentucky. During World War II, they put the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Magna Carta, and the Gutenberg Bible were all put at Fort Knox. You know who's guarding those things today? Nobody. <laughs> Pun intended. What's the most valuable thing you possess? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 8 and 9, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet be cast in eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. It's better for you to enter eternal life, enter life rather with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. I 
highlighted there the word you twice. Uh, who, who is you? Who are you? What, what is the real you? Jesus is talking about you entering into eternal life. Well, what am I? Is my body going there? Mark 8, 36, roll the PowerPoint for what does it profit a man to, or a woman or a child, a boy, a little girl to gain the whole world and forfeit his, and that includes the hers, soul. What would it profit you to own the entire state of Maryland and be lost? I'm presenting to, to you and myself today that the most prized and precious and valuable possession we have is our soul, sometimes called our spirit interchangeably in the Bible. It is that which gives life to this body. It will live forever. And we just sang in the beautiful song, I know, my, I know he rescued my soul. My shame, he's taken away. I what? I believe. My Redeemer lives. I know he rescued my soul. Perfect song for this sermon because 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, knowing again that you, notice the word you, were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Those are things we put in the safe deposit box. From your futile way of thinking, futile way of life, Inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, it's, it's not the things that men deem valuable that rescued our soul. It's the precious type P for precious blood of Jesus that rescued our soul. What, what did Jesus redeem? He redeemed our soul. That's going to live forever in one of two places. In the text that Ray read, thank you, Ray, Jesus told us about a man that was possessed by one demon. Say demon. There are many demons and one devil. Not everybody believes this, but I, it's what I believe and teach, but the Bible teaches that the devil and all demons were formerly angels. They rebelled in heaven and were cast out. He was the ringleader, probably an archangel, and they followed him. The, all the demons are fallen angels. But this man had just one demon. Jesus told in another place in Mark chapter 5 about a man. He asked God, the man, what is your name? And the man said, Legion, for we are many. We don't know how, how many demons were in that man's body. And I know this, the text says when Jesus cast them out, the demons entered into a, a herd of hogs, swine, and they drowned 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of ham. Today's story, the demon left the man, didn't find a place to reside, went through dry, arid, waterless places. We heard that from Ray. It came back to his former living quarters, and he and found this man's life uh, unoccupied, swept and in order. And this demon brought back seven of his friends. Instead of having one demon, the man now had eight demons. Jesus said the last state's worse than the first. And in this story, Jesus illustrated it by talking about, about the person's house, the, the house. 
So I'm using that as an analogy today, but this story represents the life of a Christian who does not protect his or her soul. I've created three steps here from this text we need to consider as we protect our most valuable possession, which is what? Our soul. Are you listening? Yeah. As we protect our most valuable possession, that which gives life to this body. Step one, we got to sweep the house. We got to sweep the house. Jesus said, when the demon went out of this man, his house was swept and put in order. When we become a Christian, all of the sins that God has against us, if he had a book and God doesn't need a book to record anything, but maybe he has, I don't know about all that. Whatever, all the sins that God has against us, when we become a Christian, all those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Preacher, do you mean that the blood of Jesus is out here somewhere? No. No, this is a transaction that takes place in the mind of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. God credits all of our sins to Jesus and he credits Jesus' righteousness to us. And the biblical technical term for this transaction, it's a forensic term, it's a legal term, begins with the letter J. What is it? Justification. Say justification. It's justification. When we become a Christian, in God's eyes, shall we say, we're square with him. He has no, he has no fault, no, no, no guilt charged to our account. The slate is wiped clean. Isn't that great? You get excited about that? How in the world can God treat me that well when he should throw me in hell? That's because God is awesome. He's awesome. Amen to that. Romans 3.24 says being justified. There's that word. It's a legal word, a forensic term, as a gift. Can't earn it. Can't work your way to heaven. It's by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Randy, you picked out good songs. My Redeemer lives. That's what we sang about. That's what we're preaching about today. Justified as a gift. Yes. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, but God was in Christ reconciling the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Isn't that great? What that means is even though you're guilty, God treats you as if you're not. There's no penalty for you. It's not that we're not guilty. We are. But what it is, is somebody else already paid the penalty. Jesus did that in his divine nature on the cross. So God looks upon us as if we've been to hell for all eternity, even though we haven't, because Jesus suffered in his divine nature. Justification is God's work. Sanctification, say sanctification. Sanctification is our work with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not totally our work. The Holy Spirit helps us bring our flesh into the same condition as our soul. Our soul is justified, but anybody here still struggle with right and wrong? And, and, and yeah, we enter all of us, get our hands up. Absolutely, we do. There's one honest person in the crowd in the back. We, we all do. Philippians 2.12 says, Then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now more in my absence, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You mean, preacher, I, I, going to heaven is me working my way there? No. No, you can't work your way to heaven. What Paul's talking about there, he's talking about sanctification. Our soul is justified. But if we don't bring our flesh into that same condition as our soul or work at that, we'll be like that man in that story, repossessed. So this is sanctification, step by step, day by day. We bring our flesh into the same condition as our soul. So with all of that, let's note two points of application that we have to sweep out. Alex, first of all, sweep out false ideas. We've got to sweep out false ideas. When you become a Christian, you're baptized into Jesus. The Lord takes away all of our sins. We've already said that more than once today. But baptism doesn't take away ignorance. <laughs> takes away sin, but doesn't take away, doesn't take away wrong ideas. And, and a lot of times, Christian people have wrong ideas. Many people believe that all roads lead to heaven. That they're just like going to Washington, you can go this way, that road, that road, 95, 295, Route 1, Route 50. You won't be any closer to heaven when you get to Washington. But anyway, listen to me. Jesus and his apostles established one church and men divided it. This idea of many denominations was never, ever God's idea. We're part of the restoration movement calling people. Let's just take the Bible only and be Christians only and, and do away with denominational loyalty. Amen? We, we say every week, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, to the Savior who, whose kingdom stands. One brotherhood, one brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and in love. God intended for there to be one church. We need to tell that to the world. Yes, denominationalism is not God's idea. Jesus, apostles established one church. Many people believe that everything happens for a reason. Ever hear that? Well, you know everything happens for a reason. The Bible does not teach that. Sometimes, oftentimes, the reason bad things happen to people is because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. The Bible does not teach that God causes everything to happen. He permits it, but he doesn't cause all the evil in the world. Some people think there's no such thing as gender roles now in society or the church. I put in the newsletter last week about this kid in Massachusetts wore that shirt that said, there are only two genders, and they threw him out of school. We have gone stark raving mad in this country. He was right. It's boy, girl, male, female. That's all. There are gender roles in the church too. Did you know that God has reserved the, the, the role of preaching for men? Did you know that? That's what the Bible teaches. There are gender roles in the family and in the church also. Some people believe God is pro-life and an anti-capital punishment. Ever hear that? God is both. He's pro-life and pro-capital punishment. You see, that innocent baby deserves to live, but a person that's committed murder deserves to die. You see, the Bible addresses the subject of capital punishment. I, if they ask me how to stop the crime in Baltimore, I can stop it. 
we'll just start prosecuting people that commit murder. If they're guilty, we're, we're going to hang them down at the inner harbor and then, and then we'll get the next guy. Don't tell me that won't slow down the murder rate in Baltimore. That'll slow it down. Bible teaches that many people believe God would never send anybody to hell. We already heard about that earlier today. He will, his justice demands it. His justice demands it. Many people believe truth is relative to your own situation. Now, the Bible is true, regardless of what our situation might be. Truth never changes. So we, we got to sweep out false ideas. Hurriedly, let's move on. We got to sweep out stumbling blocks. We're talking about here how this man got the devil out, but he, he didn't. He didn't continue to do what he ought to do. Part of sweeping the house is looking at the things that are tripping us. What is it that's tripping me in my Christian life? I knew a lady one time that had a whole wall full of those old romance novels. A whole wall full of them. And she decided that that, that wasn't the best thing for her. And she got rid of them. Well, that's... That's commendable. What is it that's in your house you need to get rid of? One lady said, I'd get rid of him, but I can't pick him up. Acts 19, 18 and 19 says, many of those who believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them to the side of everyone they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Paul was in Ephesus. They had a great evangelistic, evangelistic campaign. And the people that were involved in, in black magic and witchcraft and sorcery, they had a book burning. Because that was in the way of their relationship with you-know-who. Maybe we need to have a book burning, a computer burning. I don't know. Yeah, I think this summer... I'm going to preach a series. We always try to do a, a different series of sermons in the summer. I think I'm going to preach a series of, sermon, a series of sermons under the title, That Won't Hurt Me. And, and I've got a whole list of things that uh, sometimes people think won't hurt, won't, won't hurt me. But they can. We'll see how that goes. Stay tuned. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. The, that word encumbrance means... Uh, a weight that would hold a runner back. In the biblical world, they understood running. The, old, the, the ancient, the ancient uh, games, they had ancient games. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, the, the games I box and I run. So runners don't typically run with leg weights on. You see a person that's dedicated to running, they got on lightweight shoes and lightweight clothing. And the Hebrew writer says, whatever, whatever encumbrance there is, whatever is in the way, you got to get rid of it because it's going to entangle us and wrap us up. And so first of all, we got to sweep the house. Secondly, turn on the no vacancy sign. Using this house analogy that Jesus gave of this man, who the demon went out of him, as, as a, out of his house, out of his life, if you will. As Ray read to us, it says the devil looked for some other place to dwell, right? 
This man should have been happy. He got rid of the devil. <laughs> he went through arid, dry, waterless places, and he didn't find any abode. And he said, I think I'll, I'll go back over here to Fred's life and, and see if I can take up residence with Fred again. Fred had swept the house some ways, but it, he didn't turn on the no vacancy sign. And the demon came back with seven of his demonic pals. And now this guy didn't have one demon. He had eight times that many. I'd say his life got worse from then on, wouldn't you? I don't know how bad one demon would be, but eight demons got to be worse than one. You know what happens when you don't pay your exorcist? You get repossessed, brother. Uh, well, I thought that was funny, but anyway. Let's note two ways we uh, keep the no vacancy sign lit. Two ways. Number one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you get a, a tooth filled, Dennis drills a hole. It's a terrible sound, isn't it? You think he just leaves that hole there? He plugs it up, doesn't he? She plugs it up. You ever have a root canal? I've been down that road. You know what they put in that, in that, in that canal? They put rubber in there. Where they take that root out. I had endodontist break a tool off in my root one time. Let's get off of that. But uh, anyway, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. That word dissipation, best I can figure, means waste. It means do not get drunk and, 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 and because that's a waste. Maybe that's why sometimes a person says, Fred got wasted last night. You, you know what that means. He got drunk, right? That's what the word dissipation means, waste. Maybe that's why we have that term. I, I don't know. But Paul says, don't be like that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52. The disciples were continually filled with joy, with the Holy Spirit. You know, those, those two concepts there are not mutually exclusive. They're mutually inclusive because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the second fruit? Joy. Yeah, joy and then peace. Wonderful things against there is no law, Paul says. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when, when you're baptized, the devil goes out and the Holy Spirit comes in. He takes residence in your body and he doesn't show up on x-rays, but he is there. <laughs> and you know that. But we have a problem. And the problem we have is we leak. We leak. And if we don't continue to nurture the spiritual side of life, we'll leak out. 
And we'll talk about that near the end of the sermon. We have to maintain our spiritual health just like we try to do our physical health. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve? It means to make sad, doesn't it? If you're grieving, you're, and the Bible says, don't, don't make sad the Holy Spirit. Who can tell me what, what is the biblical sign for the Holy Spirit? Well, that's, uh, that, that's connected to it, but there's a, an, another term that the Holy Spirit is, is uh, t- uh, sometimes identified by. A dove, a dove, a dove, the dove. When the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in his baptism, what, in what form? Take a look at this quote. The late Don DeWell said, the Holy Spirit is the most sensitive of beings. There's no accident he is represented by a dove. The dove is hurt by a lack of attention, will often pine and brew without food over such slight of attention. Have we unwittingly grieved the Holy Spirit of love by our almost complete indifference to him? Well... We can grieve the Holy Spirit by forcing him to see and hear what is opposed to his will. Yet wherever we go, Jesus goes, and whatever we see, the Holy Spirit's with us, and what do we do? He says, we would be all be delighted to simply turn our lives over to the Holy Spirit and ask him to perform some type of divine immunization on us, like vaccination, right? So we become insensitive to the things of the world, but this he cannot, will not do. If we're to walk by the Spirit, it will be because we deliberately choose to set our minds upon the things of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, late Don DeWell, Ozark Christian College. And so his point is the Holy Spirit is not going to override our free will. We work in conjunction, with, in unison with the Holy Spirit as he helps us become holy. It's called the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. And that is nurturing our spiritual life. And that's my second point of application. Fill up on spiritual food. An old poem says, two natures struggle in my breast. One is foul, the other is blessed. The new I love, the old I hate, the one I feed will dominate. That's true. We all struggle in the flesh daily battle we have of trying to kill the deeds of the flesh. The spirit may have the reign in our life he wants to have. I, I don't understand, ought to, how physical food produces energy, but it does. The, 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 the Bible says that Jonathan ate honey and it says his eyes were brightened. You know, you know what he got from that honey? He got energy. He got energy. Honey is, is, is uh, God's sugar. It's nature's sweetener. And, and Jonathan ate that honey, and, and the Bible says his eyes brightened. You see, food produces energy. In the same way, spiritual food produces spiritual energy. You got to take it in. Second, First Peter, rather two, two and three says we had a sermon on this. I think last year, First Peter two, two and three. Do we have that? 
don't have it, fine. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. He says like newborn babes long for the word if you've tasted it. It's like, remember that commercial, no one can eat just one laced potato chip. That's true, man. <laughs> uh, keep that away from me. Uh, but if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, you want, you want more. And you, we just have to fill up on spiritual food. And I encourage you, if you're not reading your Bibles, to start. Come and join us in Sunday school. We're learning the book of Genesis. Out on this table out here are some excellent books on subjects like grace and hope and Jesus and, and baptism. And put down 10 or $15 and start reading that and nourishing yourself on God's word. You see, we've got a eternal no, no vacancy sign by being filled with the Holy Spirit and feasting on spiritual food. Lastly, thirdly, and lastly, we've got to guard the door. Guard the door. This man that had the demon go out from him wasn't, obviously wasn't watching the door. And that demon came back to Fred's life and he brought seven of his friends with him. And Jesus said the last state is worse than the first. Luke 22, 3 says, Satan entered into Judas. I wouldn't want that said about me if my name was in the Bible, would you? That's not very good, is it? Judas traveled in Jesus' walking seminary for three plus years. Judas had his own agenda. He wasn't guarding the door and Satan entered in, took over. And as Judas, as Judas opened the door and invited Satan to come in. Sad. There was a time when Satan also had control over our life. I'm not saying we worshiped him, but he, he was just, <laughs> we were in the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light, right? Is that where you were? But he left us and, and Jesus came in. But the devil still knows your address and mine. And he is not satisfied where you and I are. He wants control again. He never gives up. He can test every inch of ground. Therefore, quickly, let's note two things we need to do as we guard the door. The first one is lock out the lion. Lock out the lion. This past week, I saw a video of a grizzly bear. I guess the bears are waking up now from their winter hibernation. And if you saw this video, you, you raised, let me know. It was funny. I'm glad I wasn't there. It was a trail camera. Trail cameras have produced a lot of things that we didn't used to see. <laughs> trail camera, trail videos. This grizzly bear backed up to a, 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 like an electric pole. And he was scratching his back. Anybody see that? Some of you did. He was scratching his back on that pole. And uh, that was humorous. It's just like I see him doing that all, you know, with his standing straight up with his paws up. And then he turned and ran right toward the camera. And they put the, the video was on slow motion. You can see 
the claws this long on this bear as he runs right past the camera. What, what, what a sight to see without trail cameras. We'd never see anything like that. It was rather I watched it a couple times just to take it in. Nature, right? Here he, here he is scratching his back on that pole just like, just like we might. Lock out the lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring grizzly bear, a roaring lion, seeking whom someone to devour. The Bible compares the devil to a roaring lion. You know that. That's not new information for you. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. We've quoted that scripture several times recently. That's the threefold plan. God, submit to God first and resist him and then he will flee. Uh, in the biblical world, you know that it was a, a world of shepherding. And the shepherd would, shepherds would put more than one flock in a pen at night. And that pen was called a sheep fold. And they would take rocks and brambles and briars and, 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 and whatever they could would, and they would, make, they would make a pen. And then more than one flock would go in that sheep barn, if you will, corral is a better term, in that sheep corral at night. And there was one door and the shepherd, one of the shepherds had to guard that door. He had to lay across that door. His job was to protect that flock inside the sheep corral with his life. Remember Jesus told about that. Then the next day, a strange voice, a shepherd, they will not. Yeah. This guy, Zeke and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they get their, uh, their call their flock and uh, it follows them because that's their shepherd. But at night, there's a shepherd guarding the sheepfold, the sheep corral with his life. Well, the devil is trying like a lion to get back in your life. We've got to lock out the lion. Lastly, and this is not a pleasant point, but it's true, the house can fall. We'll just talk about that, this for a couple minutes and we'll be finished. Jesus said to this man who was repossessed by eight little demons that the last state was what? Worse than the first. You see, the Bible teaches that we have free will. We have free will to become a Christian and God did not take our free will away after we were baptized. We still have free will. You see, get away from this idea that once I'm saved, I can never be lost no, no matter what. You know where that idea originated? Hell! That's where it originated. Can you imagine all the people the devil has convinced that they can never be lost. They think their ticket's punched, doesn't matter what they do, because, hey, I became a Christian back in 1972. So, the decision to become a Christian is a one-time decision. The decision to remain a Christian is made every day. And we have free will to remain in Christ or to walk away. You can be unsaved after you are saved if you decide you don't want to be saved. Second Peter 2. 
Verse 20 says, if after they've escaped the defilements of the world, that sound like you become a Christian, escape the defilements of the world? Yes or no? Let's go on. By the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Does that sound like this person becomes a Christian? Okay. They are again entangled. Again means what? Means you were there previously. So you're, you're, you're now entangled again like this guy that had the eight demons come in and are overcome. Let's read on. The last state. Well, I, heard, I guess we heard that before somewhere else, haven't we? The last state becomes what? Worse than the first. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Doesn't that sound like a Christian? You know the way of righteousness, right? Then having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on, on to them. It has happened to them according to the proverb, true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. That don't sound very pleasant. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing, wallowing in the mire. How, how graphic of an analogies can we get? What that's saying is this. If you walk away from Christ, you're like a dog that eats its own vomit and a pig that after it went through the car wash goes back and wallows in the mud. I knew a lady one time that was a Christian. She was a converted homosexual. She was going to write a book under the title, Coming Out Again. But she was overtaken by sin again. And when the people in the church contacted her and tried to get her to come back to Christ, she knew this passage. And she said, I'm like a dog that returned to its own vomit. She's dead now. The devil fell from God's grace in heaven as an angel. If you can fall from God's grace in heaven, why can't you fall from God's grace on earth? Adam and Eve fell from God's grace in the Garden of Eden. Israel fell from God's grace in the Old Testament and God divorced them and sent them off to captivity for 70 years. And the apostle Paul said to the churches of Galatia who they had people teaching, if you wanna be a Christian, you gotta be a Jew and you gotta follow all the Old Testament law and Christ. And here's what Paul said in Galatians 5, 4. If you wanna follow the law, you've been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Let me ask you a question. Can you fall off a ladder if you're not standing on the ladder? Repeat that. Can you fall off a ladder if you're not standing on the ladder? Can you fall off a roof if you're not standing on the roof? I can't fall off this platform unless I'm standing on a platform. And you can't fall from grace unless you're inside of grace. And the Bible says, if you go back and take all the Old Testament law, try to apply that to Christ, you're severed from Christ. You're fallen from grace. That means you're lost, even though you were once saved. It's been my experience that it's 10 times harder to get the person that was a Christian and walked away back to Christ than it is to get the person to Christ the first time. 10 times harder 
to get that backslidden, rebellious, eight little devils filled person back to where they need to be. Like a dog returns to his vomit. 